Nominate the youth sports volunteer that you know for the Hercules Hero of the Week. Submit your nomination at kslsports.com forward slash contest and listen every Thursday afternoon to our guys, JJ and Alex, for the winner. Help us celebrate the efforts of those volunteers making an impact with the Hercules Hero of the Week. And yes, it's sponsored by Hercules Credit Union. DJ PK, it is 97.5 The Zone, the Utah Jazz. We're beating again the Charlotte Hornets with a fourth-quarter rally. They win the fourth quarter 30-17. to They win the game 115-107. Jazz have now lost five in a row, and here to talk about it, David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And his weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. Patrick Kinahan, how are you? <laughs> Excellent. That's a lot of energy and enthusiasm out of the gate on a Friday morning. I'm good. Hey, there's few things I get more excited about every week than talking to PK and DJ. That's the first time I've ever put PK's name first. It felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it worked. You sound like my family. They put DJ's name first or they just put everybody else's name first? Yeah, yeah. It's just uncomfortable to say my initials. Oh, okay. I'm not loved. I accepted it, though. I'm okay. Okay. I'm fine with it. I mean, hey, our scars are what make us the greatest, so yeah. I understand. They call me D-Will at home. That's interesting. I've never been called C-Boos, <laughs> but I can see it. I think I was called that in college, but that's another story. All right. Shall we proceed now? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you good? That you got, that, good. got that out of your that system? That's because as long as they're not calling you AK-47, we're okay. (laughs) There you go. Positives. (laughs) Everybody wants to know how good these rookies are going to be because it's no longer fun to talk about the playoff race. So, all right, let's talk about the rookies. Do you see anything that you want to say definitively about any of these guys, things you've really figured out about these guys, at least as they are right now? I mean, obviously they're going to have a chance to evolve here over a year, three, five, whatever it turns out to be. What do you think? Something definitive. I know this. Um, Keontae's going to be able to score in the league. Um, You know, how efficiently will probably be the question. But he'll certainly be able to score. Um, He's learning spots. You're seeing kind of this, you know, early in the year. I remember talking to Keontae about, like, where he was getting his shots. And he was like, I don't know. Like, they just come from everywhere. (laughs) And now you're seeing his shots are all very similar. Like, one to the next is, is you know, he's got the off-the-bounce three behind the pick-and-roll as a shot. He's got um, that drive, left-hand drive, dive the right shoulder into the guy, create space to clear the right hand out for the shot. So you're seeing clearly he's going to be able to score in this league and get his shots off. So that's on, on him, I think, maybe most importantly. Um you know, there just are not a lot of six nine, two hundred and ten pound athletes that match the, um, you know, perform the the athleticism of Taylor, and that's wildly obvious. Every night he plays, he makes a play or two in every game. What is he going to be able to do? I, I don't have anything definitive on that yet. Like I'm not convinced his his shots a. Uh, 36% NBA three-point shot yet. I'm not convinced that he's ever, that, you know, his handle's good enough to create offense. Um, so I haven't seen, I haven't seen things in that realm that that tell me anything. Um, and honestly, we haven't seen enough against Bryce. I really liked his college tapes and his ability to, to make plays and score offensively. Um, 
you know, Will Hardy the other day in a press conference. I think you were there. DJ was asked, like, what do you want to see out of Bryce? And he said anything that doesn't involve scoring. And last night he had no rebounds and no assists. So um, I don't think we really have an answer yet on that. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think some of those things are still a little unclear. Um, but definitively, I know that Taylor's an elite athlete. That's why he drafted him ninth. And I know that Keontae's going to be able to score and play in the league. And I think maybe most importantly on Keontae, um, I also know that he loves the game. And, the, you know, Will talks about a lot, how much he watches the game, is engaged in the game, and pays attention to the game. And I think that's, that's going to be... It's so obvious that Hendricks is really just an elite athlete. And from that perspective, even if he never develops an offensive game, he's fun to watch. And just for argument's sake, just say he is not... Uh, a, a polished offensive player in three or four years, but because of his uh, other abilities, what level of effectiveness do you think he can still have on a team as far as being able to help them win? And that's just assuming, for argument's sake, that the offense doesn't come around to where they would like it. So his downside becomes Robert Covington, don't you think? Did you go with me on that? His his downside, like his bottom level, is that he's a 34% three-point shooter, elite athlete that defends and becomes Robert Covington. I was thinking even more, but I don't know what more. Um, okay. Who, what would... I mean, like a Gobert I mean, light. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like Gobert. I mean, Gobert but he's not light. as tall. So, I mean, in his own frame type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – well, okay, so then that's that's Robert Covington. Okay. That's an elite defensive wing defender who's limited offensively, can't dribble well enough to make plays, is an adequate passer because he understands the game. Um, and that's – you know, that's – so that's him. That's, that's who I think we're talking about at that point. Um, so you and I are saying the same thing. We're just um, – you know, if he becomes a great defensive player, he becomes Jaron Jackson – Junior's defensive player of the year, but that's probably, you know, it's hard when you comp. You end up always comping the, um, you know, the best player you can possibly find. That always seems like a bit much, right? Like, right. It's more along my lines of you can still have a positive effect on the team that goes beyond just a limited role. That's what I'm getting at. Is that a possibility? Yeah, and, I mean, that's why you draft. Game that's why you draft. Hundred percent. Like that's, but that's why you draft six nine two ten, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jade McDaniel's is the best example of of everything um, from from that standpoint. Minnesota drafted Jade McDaniel's in a in a steal pick, what twenty eighth in the draft, either before or after Desmond Bain and Adoka Azubuke, um, and now he's turned into be a pretty decent offensive player. Um, and you, you, at that time, and he came out as a defensive player, but he was at Washington. He was like the number one option ball hog, didn't share, had no, had tunnel vision, had no idea, had teammates. It just didn't matter. He just had such incredible body. And, you know, I was going through trying to find comps for Kayla Hendricks. And the number one thing that jumped out to me is just how few guys there are in the league that are six nine two two oh five two ten. Like, he's just not a, just a, like, it's just a heck of a find. Like, if you go kind of run through the league, like, it's hard to find that guy. Like, 
like Aaron Gordon. Okay, well, Aaron Gordon's a little bigger now, but he's also the fourth pick of a draft, right? Like, yeah. you start running through and finding these guys, they're all they're all fourth and fifth, sixth picks of a draft. And, like, I was trying to find, like, a comp that wasn't necessarily an early pick. Like, Lucas Samanich is a pretty good example. He really has not had any success yet in his NBA career. He's got another four or five years to go because to, before he hopefully he clicks in somewhere because he's got such a unique body that he, people are going to keep signing him. You just don't, you can't find that body. So, I mean, I, there's no, like you watch Taylor in the opening moments of his career. There's just no doubt why he went ninth. And I thought Jake Scott had a great point. Like if he had all the skills we wanted to have, he would have gone second. He would have been Brandon Miller. Fact. Um, yeah. Fact. <laughs> right. So I think that like, but, but you're seeing it like the, even the foul where he, he blocks the shot on the drive last night and commits the foul with his forearm. Okay, well, that's just teaching. Like, oh, you can't can't do that. And he'll learn that. And, you know, then the offensive rebounds are real, and he hits a three. Like, I, I'm not convinced he's a 38% three-point shooter yet. We'll have to see. Like, it doesn't feel like it right now, but right. give him some time. Let right. the game slow down. Um, But, no, his downside is that he just plays in the league for 12 years. Yeah. Both Keontae, both Keontae and Taylor should have 10-plus-year careers, which is – a big win on those picks. And, um, and I, you know, the question on Keontae is just whether he's going to play hard enough. And I think he's showing he is. Walker Kessler now in his second year, it looked like they were trying to post him up in the middle of the lane and he kind of fumbles the ball away and he took a three. I didn't feel like it had a good chance of going in. It feels like offensively the dunk spot is still the place he needs to be. And anything else is too big an ask. Am I off on that? Is it evolving in another direction, or is that just where things sit at the offensive end of the floor? I think he's getting better slashing from the wing, maybe even better than in the dunker. Like the dunker's actually been a little bit of a problem for him right under the basket because then he's got to catch and somehow work his way to the basket, and he's got to make himself available there, and that's that's not been the easiest spot for him so far. Um, so there's there's some positioning there that he's got to learn on how to – how to get the ball there and have it be a, a place where he can be successful. Um, so I, um, but I think, yeah, no, I mean, one of the big things in the next 26 games is, is how we can be successful offensively with Walker on the floor and how Walker's defense, which is terrific, has not always led to good defense of the team yet. Like that's, we haven't gotten there yet for some reason. I mean, his rim defense is the second best in the NBA inside six feet. He's massively impactful, but we haven't necessarily, we're better when he's on the floor defensively. We're not good. So how can we become good defensively when Walker's on the floor? Um, Last night was better just overall defensively. That was a really good effort. I think they only allowed like 14 shots at the rim. They just got beat by a lot of above the break threes. There were a lot of things last night that were a lot better though. Could you explain to our listeners why they don't think Collins and Kessler are a good combo together on the floor? Uh, data would be the first one. The data is yeah, pretty overwhelming. That's, that's what I'm saying. Way. Explain the data. Um, yeah. So the data is that I think the two of them on the floor together are about minus nine for 100 possessions, which takes you into kind of the 60 loss team. Um, it's a, I think it's a floor spacing issue. So. As much as John does shoot the three, and he made one last night, which was great because he, you know, it was actually a question I asked Ron on the broadcast. Like, if you're in a shooting slump going to the All Star break, and you come out of the All Star break, um, are you still in a shooting slump, or does it actually start at zero zero? And um, 
And so he hits the three, so let's assume it went to zero zero. But even if John's making the three, people aren't guarding him. Like he's not a big enough threat that people go to guard him. And so then if you space John and you space Walker, no one's following either of them and they don't have gravity. And so then the lane is just completely clogged up for anybody who wants to drive to the basket. And then um, defensively, they haven't been able to have the impact. You, you know, you might sacrifice, you, you, we sacrificed that for years with Gobert and Favors. Like Gobert and Favors might have been the last lineup of two bigs that couldn't dribble, pass, and shoot on the floor together in the NBA, but it was so great defensively that you were like, okay, like we'll take the uniqueness negative of this lineup that we have two bigs, that two players that can't dribble, pass, and shoot on the floor because our defensive rating is like a 94. But that hasn't happened with John and Walker on the floor together. The defense hasn't been elite, and so you can't afford to have the offensive struggles with the lack of spacing. Since Lowry, and you really couldn't play. You really couldn't play Chris Dunn, John Collins, and Walker Kessler together. Like that's that's three non-shooters. Yeah, or non-scorers. Since Lowry Marketing came to Utah, his uh, shots per game has been up around sixteen or seventeen a night. There are times when I'm watching a game, I feel like he's not getting enough touches or shots. Now, if you're getting 16 or 17, and you're going to the line a little bit, so you're probably getting fouled when you're shooting, you're getting even more shots. Is he involved enough? Do you think more stuff needs to run through him, or is this just given his ball handling capabilities and who he is about where it needs to be? Where, where is so, this going? This is interesting because um, I'm going to call us all out. Hopefully nobody's offended by this. So we opened the post-game show last night talking about how we didn't get Lowry the ball enough. Mm-hmm. And I agreed. I was part of the conversation. I'm not, like, ducking this. So then I went and watched the fourth quarter. We ran every play for Lowry. Almost. So we opened the quarter. Six of our first eight plays were for Lowry. Five of them were isolation post-ups. He didn't score on any of them. He hit Walker Kessler on a slash to the basket on one of them. But he didn't score on any of them. Then when Keontae came back, then Jordan goes one-on-one on something and Sexton has a one-on-one and we have some plays and there's an offensive foul on Lowry on the pick and there's some other stuff in there. And then when we come, then we bring Keontae and John Collins in and now we ran pick and roll with Lowry every single play, whether it was Spain pick and roll where he was the one popping to the top off a Collins pick or whether it was Sexton and Keontae or whether it was Collins or Keontae, or, sorry, Sexton and Lowry or Keontae and Lowry. Almost every play involved Lowry. So I think that narrative is pretty debunked, and I think it's wrong. I get it. Like, he's not shooting every time. Right. But honestly, he's not very good at that. Like, can we just be honest for a second? He's great. He's a top 25 player in the NBA. He's awesome. I love having him on our team. He's like, we can do the accolades. But if we just want to be really honest, the isolation of the post, he went – 0 for 4 on those big plays last night. Like, he got blocked to the rim by Richards. He missed a turnaround jumper. He committed an offensive foul. And he had, couldn't get the ball one of the times. Like, not 0 for 4 like shooting, but we, we tried to run the play. Like, and he couldn't, like, it's not it's not his game yet. We give him the ball at the nail because you can't really give him the ball. Um, you can't really give him the ball outside the three-point line because he's not a four-dribble guy. There was one last night early in the game where he did that, which was great. Um, but he, that's not his game yet. That's, that's, that's what takes him from the 25th ranked player in the NBA to a 
top 10 to 15 player in the NBA is when he can do it. And we're trying to develop. It's probably the single most important thing for the next 25 games. But when we all talk about like Lowry, not getting enough shots, I just think it's really a, a, a false kind of a, I don't want to like throw us all into the bus because I was a part of it. So I'm not, I'm not like, but it's, there's a real lack of depth to it, frankly. Like if we run a pick and roll with Keontae George and Lowry Markkinen and Keontae and Lowry pops and the big goes with him and Keontae drives to the basket for a layup, like that's how the play's supposed to work. Yeah. Lowry didn't get the shot, but Keontae got a layup. And if Colin Sexton comes off a Lowry pick and Lowry pops to a clear side and the big goes with him and Sexton drives the basket and draws a foul and gets two free throws. That's how the play's supposed to work. Both those things happened last night. Those are plays for Lowry marketing. Like, if they don't guard that right, Colin Sexton and Keontae George are throwing it back to Lowry. The one time that they didn't, the two times they didn't do that, Keontae hit Lowry for a three, and the second time he hit Lowry for a three that was wiped off by a Colin Sexton offensive foul. So I just think that's – I actually think it's unfair to Lowry, and I think it's unfair – to the coaching staff and I think it's actually unfair to the other players because there's an implication that they like don't know that Lowry's the best player trying to get Lowry the ball it's just how the game is played and Lowry's not a player yet where we can just walk down the floor where Will's doing it right he's running an interchange on the wing with a guard and Lowry that gets the small on Lowry and then Lowry goes and posts him up in the block but it's not a play that's been very successful for us so what it comes down to is that was a 17-point fourth quarter for the Jazz, and he gets all those touches early in the quarter, but it's not registering with everybody because there isn't the urgency at that point in the game. And later on, they see a pick and roll, Lowry's defended, so the play goes somewhere else, and the frustration builds like, Lowry's the best player, he should be able to fix this, Charlotte shouldn't be rallying in the fourth quarter. That's how that happens. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, but honestly, Lowry's not capable of fixing that unless somebody leaves him open. Lowry is not at a stage right now offensively where he has self-created offense. Tim Lacombe has an, had an amazing stat on Lowry marketing earlier this year of guys that average 20 points a game in the league. His average touch time is the lowest of anyone in the league. So, like, if Luka is scoring 30, and he's the best offensive player in the world, so this is probably not a fair comparison – but Luca's average touch time is four or five seconds. Why? Because he's working it. He's getting in position. He's forcing the defense to bend. He's making the other alter with it, creating an opportunity for his teammates because of that. Lowry's touch time is like 1.7 seconds. He's catching and shooting. It's not self-created offense. David, uh, by the way, well, let's let's just in this conversation, let's also point out that Lowry had his career high six assists last night. So he's he's in the developmental process of this and doing and making the steps. It's just not where he is today. It doesn't mean he won't get there one day. It doesn't mean he's not working on it. We probably ran about eight isolations for him last night. We usually run about two. I think it's going to be a major emphasis for the final 25 games of the year so he can work on this and learn how to develop it and open his own space when he catches. Like I think his weakness is often he catches and he doesn't own the space. He's got to learn how to catch with footwork that gives him the advantage from the start but to his credit that six assists last night is a career high and one of them was in this fourth quarter on a slash to walker for a leg was a beautiful play and a play he probably wouldn't have made eight months ago david we appreciate it as always thanks for joining us we will talk to you again next week guys see ya
David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, with six assists, put Lowry Markin in a 2.0 assist per game for the first time in his career. You need to just get off his back, man. Jeez. <laughs> Locke or Markin hey, or what both? What a nitpicker you are. Locke or Markin or both? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Don't <laughs> I really, put I really the don't. Spotlight on me. It's on you. <laughs> when we come back, Jason Christ, Ralph Salt Lake will join us next. We'll talk about the opener and then the game in St. Louis tomorrow night. That's next. Great Osibar, Utah State Star Forward. It's coming up at 9 o'clock right here on the zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. We're in Big 12 country now. You know what's really relevant in the Big 12? College basketball. And if the local programs can step up to the competition level, man, we're in for college basketball being really relevant around here and hopefully to stay. And good for BYU for kicking in the door. I didn't think they'd beat Baylor in their first year. Baylor is a upper echelon program. And BYU's beaten Baylor in their first year. Hats off to that program for meeting the challenge. Khalif, obviously the big story with his best outing of the season and got BYU some easy baskets. And then the other thing that BYU did very well is they won the math equation, which is if you're going to let us hit 14 threes, you're going to lose. And that's a smart design from Mark Pope. There's a lot of good going down in Provo in the basketball department and got to give him credit. I 100% admit I was skeptical about it. And what a year. Hear Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. We are joined now by Jason Christ from Ralph Salt Lake. Jason, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. We're curious. Are you in Utah, Miami, or St. Louis? I am in Fort Lauderdale, actually. Not Miami, but yeah, South Florida here. Watching the guys train right now. Is this a a trip down memory lane? For people who don't know, when the Miami Fusion... uh, folded uh, 20 however many years ago. You were there. Former head coach Jeff Kassar had been there. Nick Ramonda was there. Kyle Beckerman was there. Um, longtime broadcaster and uh, member of the original team Brian Dunseth was there. How many? How did so many guys end up in Utah who were in Miami at one point? You missed one there. Pablo Marcarelli was in Miami. Pablo! Like, I knew I forgot somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a lot of lot of connections there, isn't it? And um, I never played here, but I did come down here quite a few times to play away games at, at the old Lockhart Stadium. So interesting now that the the new stadium sits on the exact same site and the training facility just across the street. So they have a really nice setup here for sure. How do you balance maybe possibly missed opportunity with a stronger second half as far as optimism going forward, recognizing it's just barely getting started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an interesting game, right? Really a tale of two halves. Well, the first half, we saw a team that looked extremely nervous about the uh, about the scene. And, you know, obviously with, with players like Messi and Suarez and Busquets out there and Jordi Alba, you know, I think we just gave them a lot, a lot too much respect. Um, but also just the guys being nervous about the about the whole event. Um, and then when they settled down, you know, I thought towards the end of the first half was looking pretty good. We had a couple of really good chances. And then the entire second half, for me, was a much better indication of what we want to do and how we want to play. Miami gave the ball uh, in the first 20, 25 minutes. I think they had five or six really bad giveaways deep in their end. Now, they'd had an issue with that in some of the preseason stuff I saw. So how much do you think that was – Miami is just struggling with this portion of the game at this por- in this portion of the season, and how much is that a sign of 
how good RSL is going to be when they bring that high pressure. Yeah, I think you, you, you hit it right. You know, obviously, I don't think that either team is probably nearly as sharp as they're going to become. Uh, a lot of unfair players in the game overall, actually, both have. Um, but also, you know, it's part of what I was saying earlier about as part of the group looking a little bit nervous, I thought we were really hesitant to just apply pressure to our opponent. And once we did that, I know Pablo had a good word with the, with the guys at halftime. Once we did that in the second half, you thought things changed. Um, and I do agree. I think that that's probably going to be one of Miami's downfalls this year is that, that you know, they, they tend to give the ball away pretty simply and cheaply in bad spots of the field. Saw some a little bit of frustration over missed opportunities. Is something that you feel like can be fairly easily ironed out? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. In the first half, I thought Tucho's chance was a simple one to put away, and he just kind of slapped that. And then I think we just we saw that on a couple of occasions where guys just were a little bit rushed about what they were doing and slashing at the ball. Um, but in my experience, it tells me that that's very, very typical for MLS teams that are coming off of preseason. It's the last part that really comes together is, is what happens in the final third and in particular what happens in front of goal. How much is this team going to change? Because presumably you've got two starters waiting to join the team. Maybe maybe Matt Crooks is going to be able to play in St. Louis. I'm not sure about his availability for the second game. But by the third or fourth game, there could be a couple starters who aren't even with the club right now. How much is that going to change what we're seeing? I think it's going to change it um, dramatically, actually. We're, we're big believers in Brooks. We're big believers in Kipranis. Um, both of those guys should be contending for starting positions at the bat. To update everybody, I'm sitting here watching Brooks training, so I think he will be available for Saturday. It'll just be a question of how much he'll be available for because he just landed from, uh, from London last night. You open on the road with these games and you have no choice you got to do it that's the schedule but how much can you use it to your advantage in terms of maybe uh, eliminating distractions from home and get some team bonding going and all that type of stuff yeah it's always always opportunities when you're you're traveling like you said for the guys to be forced to spend more time together so we believe that that's going to be a big um a big factor of us performing well is going to be the connections between the players, connections between the players and staff, connections between staff and management. We think that all of that alignment will be critical for us to succeed. So we are hope- hoping to take advantage of that opportunity with these two games. Jason, as I'm sure you're aware, in addition to being a sportscaster, I'm also an amateur psychologist. So factor wow. factor really? that into this next question. When I see 17-year-old Fidel Barajas and he's supposed to be this talent, it's, it's like, okay, he's 17. Everybody's got to have patience with him. But I thought on a night when there were a lot of nerves, the amateur psychologist reading his body language, when he came in the game, he just came in the game and played and didn't seem to be as impacted as some of the other, other guys had been earlier in the match. And I've been told, I haven't been around him much at all, but I've been told that uh, he is mature beyond his years and he maybe can really give the club something this season. What's your assessment of him, both his talent, but also factoring the fact he's 17? Well, let me answer, start telling you that I was a psychology major from college. Had a kid. You and I must both be in the same boat here with our amateur slash professional psychological opinions. Um, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Fidel, for me, I'm seeing signs of what I think could be a top, top player in our league. 
And most of those signs that I'm seeing, you know, obviously there's the, there's the technical perspective where he's, he's got good technique and he's got quality on the ball and he's a really good finisher around the goal. But what I like more than any of that stuff is just his mentality. Uh, he's a very hungry player. I call these guys hungry because they just, they look like they, they look like they're just so hungry to, to improve and to be better and to become a top player. And he's got that sort of mindset and he's got this sort of no fear um, to him that we really like. I agree. I think you know, the night he came off the bench and he looked like he was, he was comfortable yet. There was no, no nerves that you saw in a lot of the other guys at the beginning of the game. That's for sure. So you think that's a good spot for him, obviously, because of his being so young and ease him into it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a player that's, that's new to our league and new to our team, it's good that they, they're forced to kind of come in and contribute. I think it's, it's obviously an easier thing to do is to come into a game, watch the game for 60 minutes, understand sort of where the weaknesses are and where the space that you could operate in is. Uh, and then come and have a positive contribution. So I think that's a really good starting point for him, and I think we'll continue to see that. But I expect that this is going to be a kid that's going to contribute a lot for our team this year. As far as your contribution, when you came back to the club, it was explained that uh, you would be creating kind of a new role. There'd be some business, there'd be some soccer, but it sounded like a lot of the stuff was to be determined. And uh, now you've got the title club director. What does that mean? What's been determined? What still has to be figured out as far as your role? Dave, I've been doing a lot, a lot with just that alignment piece and a lot with the culture of the club and trying to establish an identity and a culture and a soccer methodology that can be consistent running up from the 15s to the 17s and right into RSL uh, and really trying to pull everybody together so that we all understand exactly what our motivations are and exactly what we can get. Um, and so that process has been really enjoyable for me. Um, obviously, it's, you know, anytime that you're asking people to do something different or do something more than what they've done before, it's, you, you run into some, some troubles. But all in all, it's been a really good experience. I think we're all beginning to understand where we're trying to get. RSL has St. Louis coming up now uh, Saturday night. And they finished in the top spot in the West a year ago. They did not finish the season particularly well. The very end was a struggle, and they're out quickly in the uh, in the postseason. But they've opened with a win in the, well, it used to be called the Champions League, the Champions Cup now. So they've got a competitive game under their belt. What are you expecting from them? What's the main uh, challenge for RSL in, uh, in game number two? Yeah, really interesting club that, that did amazing things last year. I think really surprised everybody around the game how well they did and how many wins they got and where they finished, right? They played in the Western Conference. And then talking to see them go out in the first round of the playoffs. So that is probably both good and bad. <laughs> the bad is that I think they're going to come into this season with a with a little real bit between their teeth. And we saw them perform Tuesday night, I think it was, uh, with Houston. Really solid performance, gained a good win against a very good team. Um, and they're, I think they're also a, a group that, that has um, a little bit of a different mindset and a different confidence at home. So it's going to be a difficult, difficult opponent for us Saturday night. They did another thing. I think they probably rotated some players in that game Tuesday, probably played a little bit weaker lineup than what we expect to see Saturday. So some of their best players may have gotten some rest. So challenging for us. Um, but I think, you know, again, after our second half performance, we have some confidence to take out of that. 
and hopefully we can put that performance together for more like 90 minutes this game and come out with a positive result. Jason, we appreciate a few minutes, and we will uh, talk to you again later this season. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Appreciate it. Jason Kreiss, Real Salt Lake Club Director, join us right here on The Zone. Great Osibor, Utah State star player, is going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes. The Aggies get the weekend off. Come down from the uh, what must have been a massive sugar rush and a massive high after beating the San Diego State Aztecs in a sold-out spectrum that was going nuts. He will join us coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour right here on The Zone. Accessing. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. Mark Harlan, Athletic Director at the University of Utah. I would have bet that the Big 12 would have had you and BYU playing the final weekend of the season. They've got you playing on November 9th. Is that something that you guys liked or preferred? Don't ever want to speak for Tom, but where I was on it was that I wasn't wedded to it, and I want to maximize it for television because the Holy War deserves it. So I just told the Big 12, and obviously Tom was in agreement, that let's just put it at a place that's great. You know, we're aspirational to be in Dallas for that championship game. I'm sure BYU is too. And, uh, you know, maybe playing that rival game quickly was in my mind. But at the end of the day, if they put it there, we would have said, let's go. But I think, you know, what we said was we're not wedded to that. And folks were maybe for that or against that in the community. But, you know, I think it's just a few weeks before that now, right where it fell. And I imagine it'll be a real primetime type telecast. Catch Hanson Scotty weekdays from noon to three on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So, so, so. Catch Def Leppard on their The Summer Stadium Tour 2024 as they make a stop at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on September 10th. Get your tickets now at LiveNation.com or listen to The Zone all day on Thursday, February 29th for your chance to win. So Yak was just telling us in the break that uh, Steve <laughs> Steve Starks, not that, not that conversation. <laughs> conversation about Major League Baseball uniforms that we do not need to repeat. But if you know what's going on there, you can imagine. I thought maybe this was your last show. It's a Friday. (laughs) Good night, everybody. But first, I like to say Steve Starks, Yach also told us earlier in the break, Steve Starks, is, and people I guess are live tweeting it, is speaking at the state legislature, so, talking yeah. about baseball, coming to Utah, and expansion, and on the list of things that are surprising in the world of sports. you have something you want to say, Yach? Yeah, so it's House Bill 562. It's the Fair Park Bill, which you give them the subsidy. There's a billion dollars apparently up, up for this bill to help build out that power district. And a it says, billion dollars? Yeah. Steve Stark, speaking in favor of this bill, says the third-party market studies indicate that Salt Lake City could begin with the 17th highest attendance in Major League Baseball. Okay. I don't know how he knows that, but we'll go with it. They've Third-party done some, market they, studies. They've done market research and predicting how many people will go to a game and all that. Okay. What's that average? 20s? 25? Probably, yeah. That probably sounds about the right ballpark, so to speak. Hey, <laughs> You're a ding dong. <laughs> On the list of surprising things, this state legislature, they haven't approved them yet, but it looks like they're in the process of approving tax hikes to pay for new stadiums and or improvements to current ones. Raising the uh, tax on hotel rooms and maybe rental cars to pay for the baseball and a sales tax increase to pay for a 
hockey or basketball renovation of the Delta Center or new hockey and, and a district there. I got to say, things I didn't think I'd see, put these right at the top. And it looks like they're going to happen. Why didn't you think you'd see them? The attitude towards taxation in the state, always cutting taxes, don't raise them. Do we have representation, them. though? <laughs> we do. do have representation. Now you want to get into a whole political science <laughs> discussion? It's a short segment, and you nearly derailed it from the start, which is beautiful. You did, not me. I did not. You I knew did, exa- too. I knew exactly what I was well, going to talk did, about. I did, we didn't. Well, all you had to do was sit there quietly and listen. You would That's have not out. my job. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, you nearly derailed it, which is your job. I agree. Finally came to consensus. I, I never contemplated it. You're contemplating you contemplated what the it? state legislation is going to oh, do? Or that for 20 years, taking a question person over there. Do you think that, me neither, but that's not the point. The point is, for 20 years, do you think we'll ever get baseball and football here? No. Who'll build a stadium? Hockey, maybe, because the arenas are so useful with concerts. You can put so many events in them, you can pay for them. But... It usually takes, not always, but it usually takes tax money to build NFL and MLB stadiums. And I didn't think there was any appetite for that. And there I is apparently TV anchors. And there is apparently an appetite for tax money. Because they make a ton money of money. They all got big TVs. In the baseball and football stadiums. And I find that surprising. I got a big TV. <laughs> Derailed. <laughs> Comma. Yeah. And they're always flaunting stuff. You saved no. the school six hundred yeah. grand. Six hundred thousand. TV wow. anchors so full of themselves. Yeah, okay, fine. Paycheck is why I live in Utah. I know. <laughs> Paychecks, checks, checks. No, I came for one. I came for one paycheck. But now that's not why you remained. But that's not why I came. I came. That you turned down the uh, uh, Manchester United radio <laughs> gig. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, more things I haven't contemplated. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Should, should I move to Manchester? <laughs> but isn't that controversial? Won't some people say, no way, they're billionaires. Why should we do it? Yes, and I've already seen some of that on social media. But Have is you? It, is it controversial? Yes. Okay. But is it uh, controversial in the legislature, or is it going to sail through? I don't know. Uh, one of the bills came out of committee, and I remember it was uh, it was unanimous. Whole committee. Unanimous? Yep. That means every single person. Yeah, I think it was four. Four votes. Maybe there were some not not present. Four zip? I don't know. Somebody was off in another committee meeting. What was there a vote on? on that one? I think that was for the tax for the baseball stadium. I think. Who's getting taxed? Tourists who are staying in hotels or maybe renting cars. I know in, the, in other markets they've, used, they've lumped the two together, and I don't know if they're doing that here. I've seen the hotels mentioned, and I know in other places they've they've hit rental cars at the same time to raise more money. Yeah. And then the, the locals get it and don't have to pay for it, but then there are people who say, well, why don't they just raise those taxes and put the money into our school or our roads or our, you know, fill in the blank. My whatever. pocket. Water. And or what, well, yeah, lower taxes on us and raise them on the tourists. And then there are other people. Well, never mind. I don't want to go into the whole debate. <laughs> you go me into it. But you're right. It is. There are people. <laughs> I just saw the look on your face, and you're I'm like, dragging him in. Here we go. <laughs> I've got him wound up. <laughs> Mad scientist sitting over well, there. You spin yourself he's, into a top. He's man. learned. <laughs> when we come you back, you can't lead a horse to water unless it's DJ and politics. <laughs> when we come back, great. So what do you think money. of this? Great Osibor, Utah you in favor? State. Great Osibor, Utah State. Don't start. No, it's too late. I've spun myself out. <laughs>
<laughs> Do you vote strict party line still? When we come back, great awesome morning, Utah State basketball forward. The Aggies' leading scorer joins us next. <laughs>